0: Good morning. morning. Hey, good morning to the choir too. (laughs) I love you all. (laughs) You guys are awesome. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, I want to start with a a few minutes of of introducing the Corinthian church, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The Corinthian church was a mess. Okay. Paul wrote his second letter uh, to the Corinthian church in Corinth at about 55, 56 A.D., Uh, about a year after he had written his first letter to the church in Corinth. And then about a year before uh, he wrote his letter to the church at Rome. Now, the first letter is what's sometimes called an occasional letter. It's it's quite different from the letter to the Romans, right? Paul had not previously visited Rome, but he had visited Corinth, okay? (laughs) Okay. And, um, and, and in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul outlines several things that are wrong with the church. They are divided. They are following individuals rather than Jesus. So, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And then another, I follow Christ, which you would think maybe we'd all land on that. <laughs> but later Paul goes on to mention this: the, the cornerstone of our faith is from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 22 through 24. So, Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, uh, Paul addresses Corinthians as people who are worldly, right? He says in 1 Corinthians 3.1 that they are mere infants in Christ that's not a compliment. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 4:18, uh, Paul says that that some of us maybe that's us too, I don't know, we've we've become arrogant. Uh, there's a case of incest in the church in 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul says expel the wicked person from among you. In 1 Corinthians 6, people are taking their disputes to civil courts and not to the church. And I know there's a place for civil courts in our society. For, for Paul, he felt that Christians were better equipped to solve civil disputes in their church than the courts. He also felt that Christians should take things to one another. One of the things I notice here is our unwillingness to take issues to the elders of the church and the pastors of the church. Now, this is such a huge issue challenge for us. We, you know, we're consumers, and we sometimes feel like everything in a church should be perfect. If the church isn't perfect, we just go to another church. I have news for you. There is no perfect church. If you find one, you will make it imperfect by your presence <laughs> there. <laughs> so what would it look like if, if we invited the members of the session Which include the pastors, to to enter into our disagreements with each other, maybe even our disagreements with our families. And that might be embarrassing for us. At the same time, it might breathe new life into this congregation. Chapter 7 is about sexual immorality, about marriage, divorce. Paul seems to take a softer tone here, saying that if a man or woman is married to an unbeliever and that individual agrees to stay, The follower of Christ should not divorce the person. Chapter 8 is about eating food sacrificed to idols. Paul takes the position that Jesus rules, but he also allows for people of stronger faith and trust in Jesus to be aware of those who have lesser faith and trust. And again, there's kind of a gentleness there. Paul wants us to be aware of the issues with which others are struggling. In 1 Corinthians 9... 19 through 23, Paul says these words, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Wow, that's amazing, right? Um, that's, that's just incredible. Uh, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. I love that spirit. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, (laughs) Paul addresses head coverings. Uh, There were formerly temple prostitutes known by their shaved heads who had been saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ And were coming to church. Paul encouraged them to cover their heads. So, they were not known for their former role in the temples. Okay. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 11 also addresses divisions in the church. Especially during the Lord's Supper. (laughs) This is amazing. Some some were eating their meal. Others were going hungry. Some were getting drunk. (laughs) What? <laughs> it's hard to imagine that, right? So 1 Corinthians 12 is about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, again, there's a division in the church. Some, some people feel that, that they don't have the gift that other people do. Like somehow there's a hierarchy of gifts. Some scowl at the gifts of the Spirit in others. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love and specifically about love Because of all the divisions of the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 14 is about the gift of tongues and the way in which it might be used in the church. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There was a strong Gnostic influence in Corinth, a division of the body and the spirit. Paul contends that Jesus rose from the dead in every way, both body and spirit. And 1 Corinthians 16 is about saying goodbye. Now, so all of that is is a a preface, preface for our text today. So there's no such thing as a perfect church. So let's listen to God's word from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us. of God. Wow. So last week we uh, started with Jesus and we ended with Jesus. And this week's passage is similar. We start with Christ's love which compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. We end the passage with God making Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me be clear, God is doing a new thing in and through us. But that new thing is not because of anything we can bring to the table. It is because of the perfect life of Jesus, His death on the cross, and His resurrection. But we do have a role, and we will hear about that in the verses to come. So, the word compels in the New International Version is the word sunekai in Greek. In different translations, it's translated as constrains, impels, compels urges on, overmasters, over completely dominates, controls, and overwhelms. The New English Bible reads, For the love of Christ leaves us no choice. The result, or where Paul is going, are the words, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. And again, it starts and ends with Jesus From commentator Murray J. Harris, Christ's love is a compulsive force in the life of believers, a dominating power that effectively eradicates choice in that it leaves them no option but to live for God and Christ. Of course, this is easier said than done, (laughs) especially in a world where most of us have been blessed but with resources, those, those resources tend to cloud our vision. So, here's an example. Do we have a centered set or a bounded set? Let me explain what I mean. A centered set is something that unites us. For example, our belief in the Trinity, in Jesus being fully God, fully human, in the authority of Scripture as the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, Brian read these words to us from 2 Timothy Uh, Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, think about the depth of that statement. Okay? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's spoken by the very initiative of the Holy Spirit through the all the authors of the books of the Bible. All Scripture is useful for teaching. That means we are taught by the Scripture, counseled by the Scripture, guided by the Scripture. The Scripture is useful for rebuking. That means when we, we go astray we need to be corrected, we need to realign our course. All Scripture is useful for correcting. That, that means that the Scripture helps us get back on the right track. It helps us move forward in our faith. You know, we have so many tools available to us right now. Um, I didn't bring my phone up here with me, but I have, I have version on my phone, and it gives me 71 different versions, English versions of the Bible. <laughs> Amazing, right? At the same time, I also have other things on my phone. Uh, you may have... Facebook, or Instagram, or Twitter, or TikTok, or others. Um, You know, the challenge is real. Because I think our forms of social media dominate over our consumption of Scripture. Now, finally, all Scripture is useful for training in righteousness, right? Now, I think John Stott said it best about righteousness. First, we have right standing before God. Because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ. Second, we develop right character with God because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And third, we develop right actions living out our standing and our character because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And the goal is that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are intended to be a force in this world for Jesus Christ. We are intended to make a difference. The scripture unites us. Of course, right? We differ on interpretation. There are like 40,000 different Christian denominations in the world. All right? Uh, God the Father unites us. Jesus Christ the Son unites us. The Holy Spirit unites us. We stand on these things that center us. Today following the Lord's Supper we are going to say the Apostles' Creed. Again, something that unites us. When I was in Lee Summit, Missouri, I was there for 23 years as a church planter. I had an amazing group of friends and we would meet to pray once a week. There was a Southern Baptist, there were some non-denominational types, there were some Presbyterians, there were some Pentecostals. And we knew we had differences, especially on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and on the issue of baptism. But we were centered because of our common belief in the perfect life and sinless death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A bounded set is something that divides us. So we get caught up in our differences. We don't see our similarities. Someone gets caught up in infant baptism versus adult believer baptism. Someone gets caught up in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. On May 28th and June 4th and June 11th, we're going to do a series on the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to want to be there. All right? There are other things that tend to divide us as Christians. Uh, Some of them have to do with the right and the left, the Democrats and the Republicans. So... Yeah, hear me on this, okay? Be patient. I think most people assume that CNN tends to lean a little left. Fox tends to lean a little right. MSNBC tends to lean a little left. Newsmax tends tends to lean a little right. And maybe all of them lean farther than that, (laughs) okay? We could go on and on about different kinds of media and where they fit on the spectrum, but friends, if you are going to one hour of church a week and consuming 20 hours of media from either the right or the left or the center, what is influencing you the most? Our access to money can also be a stumbling block to the life of faith. We've been blessed in this country with amazing resources. Sometimes we let our consuming cloud our vision of faith. I've said this before, there are other countries that face different challenges with all the various forms of government in those places, but this is the country in which I've grown up. It's the only one I've ever known. The water in which we swim is consuming, but we don't even know it's the water in which we swim. Sometimes our resources keep us from following Jesus, and sometimes they help us. Again, from Murray Harris, when Christ died He was acting both on behalf of and in the place of all human beings. He represented them by becoming their substitute. So we know that all human beings did not avail themselves of Jesus Christ. And some did and you are among them if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And now we get to the meat of the passage (laughs) as if what we haven't heard wasn't already enough. In verse 16 Paul says, So, from now on we regard no one from an earthly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, I think Paul is pointing to his view of Jesus before his conversion. So, Paul is saying that he regarded Christ from a human point of view. But then Paul was transformed on the road of Damascus... When Jesus met him in a deeply personal way and blinded him and brought him before the throne of God where Paul was forever changed and then Ananias restored his sight. We are a new creation, right? So what what has God, through the work of Jesus Christ, allowed us to become a new creation? I mean, what purpose did God have in mind? What role did God want us to play? What intention? Did God have? We read these words the old is gone, the new is here. Has the old gone? Is the the new here? I I know some people uh, who have had dramatic conversion stories. Uh, If you've ever read the book Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrandt, or you've ever seen the movie, um, uh, Louis Zamperini was an incorrigible delinquent. He channeled his energy into running. He he finished eighth in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. He became an airman. He became a POW. He was tormented by one of his guards, Mutsuhiro Watanabe, known as the bird. He was having terrible nightmares of his captors. When he released, he started drinking. He became an alcoholic. He suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. His marriage was on the rocks. And then he went to a Billy Graham crusade in 1949. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. My understanding is he stopped drinking that day. The nightmares stopped. He forgave his captors. His marriage was restored. I'm only speaking for me. But my journey has been fits and stops and starts and obstacles, and most of them are my own doing. I want to be a a new creation. But the journey is long, as Eugene Peterson wrote, a long obedience in the same direction. Maybe you've you've seen something miraculous happen in your life that completely changed and transformed you into a follower of Jesus. But I think for most of us, the journey has been powerful and compelling. But we've changed little by little. So God reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. These words, when I think about them, there was nothing we could do, nothing we could pay, nothing that would impress God. We didn't deserve God. We couldn't impress God. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He was fully human, fully God. He died for us. He rose again from the grave for us. He became the sacrificial lamb that was referenced in the Old Testament. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world on our behalf. And then God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And He committed to us the message of reconciliation. He is suggesting that our lives are to be so attractive, so compelling, so loving, so faithful, so humble, that people will be drawn by the example of our lives to Jesus Christ. God gave us the message of reconciliation. God has committed to us that message of reconciliation. There is no hiding There's no escaping. We are messengers of reconciliation. We can accept that call. We can deny that call. I think quite a few of us may have walked away from that call to reconcile others to Jesus Christ. You know, we think, let's let the pastors do it. (laughs) Right? But here's the thing. I've walked away from that call several times. So, I mean... Let's let the evangelist do it. <laughs> Let's let Billy Graham do it. Well, he's dead now. <laughs> you know, he's with the Lord. But, I'm, you know, but I am a walking, talking agent of reconciliation, whether I know it or not, and so are you. So are you. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Again, these, these beautiful words, right? God didn't hold us accountable. He held Jesus Christ accountable. Only a fully human and fully divine Jesus could accomplish that goal. So we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I want to take a moment here to ask if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Do you understand that there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor? Nothing you can do to impress God. You can't give enough. You can't do enough acts of charity. You can't love enough. You can't be kind enough. But God, through the saving love of Jesus Christ, made it possible for you to be rescued, restored, redeemed, and forgiven. God's kingdom is advancing. Will you join the advancing kingdom of God? Will you become part of the problem or part of the solution? That's what my mom used to say. Will you accept the offer? That Jesus is making to you today. I know many people in our congregation, you know, would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to share a conversation with you. I know Brian and Joy and Janae would be willing to do the same. I know our elders and deacons and others in the congregation would be happy to share a conversation with you. There's no pressure here. We want you to ask all the questions you have. We want you to take all the time you need, but we want to point you toward Jesus Christ because He is our salvation not us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Again, you know, Paul seems to be doubling down. We're we're not just agents of reconciliation. We're ambassadors. An ambassador is, uh, God is making His appeal through us. That means all of us. I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Just to be clear, an ambassador is an official envoy from Merriam-Webster, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. So think of the American ambassador to Italy or the French ambassador to Portugal. They represent their country. An ambassador is not freelance going out and doing whatever he or she wants to do. An ambassador is an official representative of the United States of America. So, here's the challenge, right? I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I want God to make His appeal through me. But I'm so broken and flawed, I wonder if people really see Jesus Christ in me. I suspect you might feel the same way. There are amazing things that each of us do that shine with the glory of Jesus Christ. And then there are other things. We are all a work in progress. So God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not sure I can add much to this. God's intention is that we become the righteousness of God. Remember, right standing, right character, right actions. God, through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, meant for us to have all three. I was listening to a a podcast this week and the host said something that I thought was wise. The Asbury Revival, he said, uh, you've heard about the the Asbury, Kentucky and the revival there, uh, will take about 40 years to play out. Only then will we see if those influenced by the revival have become change agents for Jesus Christ. Only then will we see if their lives were truly changed or if they were just caught up for a moment. Only then will we see if the words of Jesus in Luke 4, they have proclaimed good news to the poor, proclaimed freedom to the prisoners, proclaimed recovery of sight to the blind, if they've set the oppressed free, if they've proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. Have they been so influenced by the world that they have become the hand of God? Have we been so influenced by Jesus Christ That we have looked up to God? Have we been so influenced by Jesus Christ that we have leaned into community with one another? Have we been so influenced by Jesus Christ that we have led out into mission with others? Have we welcomed warmly? Have we shared openly? Have we worshiped joyfully? Have we thought biblically? Have we prayed earnestly? Have we cared deeply? Have we given generously and have we served willingly? And by the way, those are our three measures on the website in our eight um, uh, or sorry, three, uh, three uh, looking up, le- leaning in and uh, leading out our, our, our goals and then uh, the eight measures that's on our website. Okay? Check that out. Okay. So let's pray together. So, Lord God, thank you so much for who you are and for all you've done for us. Um, Lord, we, uh, we know that we are ambassadors for you as though you were making your appeal through us. God, we, we want that. Change us, grow us, help us, lead us, guide us, shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.